Good morning, GRX. It is such a joy for me to be back with you uh, today. I was remembering that um, it was about a year ago when we first met. You were doing the series on heroes, and I was uh, remembering how much I enjoyed being with you, how warm and welcoming you were, and I feel like I've come home to family. And so thank you so much for having me back and Pastor Scott for sharing his pulpit. I know that, uh, that that's not always easy to do. So I'm delighted to be here. And I'm delighted that you also met my dad, who is a huge inspiration, my mentor. And I heard wonderful things about your retreat. And so I truly do feel like we're family together. So thank you so much. I have also enjoyed listening to Pastor Scott's sermons for this, this summer series on the parables, and I always kind of get tickled during, um, during your creative element with, uh, with your children, because each time I always feel like they've stole a little bit of what I'm about to say with you, so you get a preview, but I just think it's wonderful. I, I think it's wonderful that as a church family, you're studying the same things, and that you get to hear um, what the children are studying, and, and we're all in this together. That's just wonderful. So in keeping with this current series that you have, the series on the parables, which as was shared, short stories that Jesus told for a kingdom truth. They were short stories that often would make you go, hmm, because they would often have a twist or a surprise to them. And I always imagine that when Jesus would kind of gear up for one of his stories, that, that people would lean in because you never knew where his stories were going. And they weren't just stories to make you scratch your head or, or to make you think. They were also stories that stirred something in your soul if you were open to hear. And today's story is no different. As was already shared, we will be looking at the story of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost sheep and in keeping with the series that you've been doing, I will be following what Pastor Scott has already explained as the parable rubric. If this is your first time today, uh, Pastor Scott has been looking at the parables through a five-fold lens. First, there is reading the story, then understanding the cultural context of the story, looking for the surprise in the story, pondering the meaning, and then responding as the Spirit leads. And I love this rubric because I think that so often, especially if you have been in church for a long time or attending Sunday school as a young person, these stories can seem very familiar. And you can feel like, oh, I already know what that's about. But I love this rubric because it gives us an opportunity to look at these parables with fresh eyes. And that's what we will do today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be, or your devices, we are going to be looking at Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14, and it will be on the screen. It was already read during our children's creative element, and so I'm wondering what you think this story is about. It seems pretty straightforward. It seems pretty common. But I want to invite you to do something special with me this morning, to, to go on a journey. And I'd like us to go back in time and try to listen to this story, this parable, as if you're hearing it for the first time. 
I invite you, if you want to, and you promise not to go to sleep, to shut your eyes and just imagine that you are at the feet of Jesus and you are hearing this story for the first time. Hear the words of Jesus. See that you do not look down on any one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should be lost. From that second reading this morning, did you hear anything different that time? Was there something in the story that piqued your interest? Perhaps you now have some questions that have started to stir about this passage. Questions like, who are these little ones that he's talking about? These little ones we're not supposed to look down upon. And what do angels have to do with anything? And why would Jesus jump from angels in the story to a story about a lost sheep? And would a shepherd really leave 99 to go after just one? To answer these questions and to understand the cultural context, which is step two of the parable rubric, we have to go back a little bit in the text to the beginning of chapter 18. There's actually a bigger story to this story that Jesus is addressing here. In verse 1, the disciples have asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus responds by calling a little child over. And he says in verse 3, unless you change and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Then a little further down in verse 6, Jesus warns of the severe ramifications for anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble, to fall into sin, to stumble in their faith. Jesus says that it would be better for a person who causes a little one to stumble to be drowned in the sea than to cause them to stumble in their faith, to fall into sin. This chapter of Matthew is the fourth out of five discourses that Jesus has given about what it means to live in the kingdom of God, what it, what it means to be a community of believers. The larger context of this entire chapter, both before and after our text this morning, is about how we should care 
for other believers, especially new believers. Jesus links such care to humility and greatness in the kingdom of heaven. The term little ones here then is not just primarily referring to children by age. Jesus is talking about believers because to enter into the kingdom of God, we must become like children. We must be childlike because we are the children of God as believers. Children are generally dependent on others to care for them, to they're trusting, they're innocent, they're open. But children are also vulnerable and susceptible to all kinds of trouble if they're not cared for well. In this text, Jesus is referring to followers and new believers in the faith who are susceptible to all kinds of sins and temptations, behaviors and attitudes that can draw them away from God if they're not cared for properly. These are the little ones that Jesus is telling us not to look down on. They're fellow believers, especially newer believers, younger believers in the faith. I was at a conference recently on evangelism and discipling new believers specifically, and one of the things that came up during our discussion was the innocence, the joy, the freshness that new believers have when they first convert to Christ. Do you remember feeling that way? It's so important, we were reminded, to affirm and care for new believers as they grow because they're young in the faith. They're green, if you will. Often they're they're babies. And then one of uh, my friends shared this story in his church of a man who had recently become a Christian, recently joined the faith community, and he was so excited about being a Christian and, and following Christ, and he wanted to just jump headlong into the, into the church community and find a place of ministry. So he found a place that he thought would fit him well. He decided to, to join the ministry and be a parking lot attendant and help guide people in as they were coming to church and, 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 and be a welcoming and hospitable presence. My friend went on to share that, that he was kind of surprised one Sunday when he pulled into the church parking lot and he saw the man enthousi- enthusiastically directing traffic with one hand and puffing on a cigarette with the other. Now, don't get me wrong. My point has nothing to do with smoking. My point is that he was a new believer. He's still working those things out for himself. And the question would be, how was he treated? How was he responded to? There could have been, I'm afraid, some believers who maybe had a problem with that, who who maybe grumbled or griped or complained or maybe even felt they needed to take him aside and chastise him. We can sometimes look down on new believers or younger believers in the faith or people who even make different theological choices than we have. They, we can look down on them, shake our heads towards them. We can be critical about how they may look or dress or act. And Jesus is telling us in this passage Don't do that. 
And the rest of verse 10 tells us why. Jesus says, because these little ones are special and precious to God. I believe God is looking at their heart. He's he's looking at their innocence and he delights in the fact that they love him. All those other things, they'll work out. They'll grow. I believe we can miss God's heart when we look down, when we judge, when we grumble, when we complain about those younger in the faith. How do I know that we can miss God's heart? Well, when talking about these little ones, Jesus says in verse 10 that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What does this mean? Well, in Jewish tradition, angels who saw God's face were considered the most powerful because they were the ones closest to God's throne. That's how they were able to see God's face. They were in close proximity to God. And Jesus refers to these angels as their angels, the angels of these little ones. So by connecting these little ones to the angels so close to God, Jesus was sharing with us how precious they are to the Father, how infinitely worth they have to the Father. They are so precious that God has commissioned angels just to watch over them. And Jesus was teaching that we should be looking out and caring for them too. Now, this is the backstory to today's parable story. And it's important for us to understand this because it tells us who or what was the sheep who wandered off. This sheep was one of those little ones, a believer who has lost his or her way. Now, it's interesting to note that there is another parable about a lost sheep in Luke 15. This parable actually reads very similar to this one. In fact, that's the basis for the video that we saw from Luke 15. So it's, it's basically the same story, but there's a subtle difference. The difference is in the Luke 15 story, Jesus is talking to a different crowd. As we saw in the video, Jesus is talking to Pharisees and religious teachers who are upset about who Jesus is spending time with. They're upset that he's spending time with tax collectors and and sinners. And so in that Luke parable, the lost sheep is one of those sinners, someone who does not yet know God. And Jesus is declaring how much God loves those who don't even know him yet. So much so that the shepherd would go after even one to bring them into God's family. But in today's parable, our Matthew text, we see the same response from the shepherd, but he's seeking a different sheep in this story. In this story, the sheep he's seeking is a believer. The sheep is one who was once part of the 99. This sheep has known the care of the shepherd, but for whatever reason has wandered away and now is lost. Here in Silicon Valley, we aren't really sheep people. But before I make that assumption, I'm curious, is there anyone here that raises sheep or maybe has a a pet for a sheep? You never know. Anybody? 
Okay, well, we're not sheep people here in Silicon Valley. But I'm fascinated by sheep. And I think I'm fascinated by them because they are so prominently featured in the Bible. Sheep are mentioned in the Bible more than 500 times, more than any other animal. And I think there are primarily two reasons why this is true. First and obvious, sheep were important to the agricultural and pastoral culture of that time. Sheep were a huge part of the economy. They provided all kinds of community and family resources from, from wool to food to, to livestock. Having sheep was the equivalent of having wealth in that day. And second, I think sheep are so prominent in the Bible because they are the perfect metaphor for our reality they're the perfect metaphor for the, the heroes of that day. They got it. They were sheep people. But they're also the perfect metaphor for our human reality, our human experience. It's, it's no wonder God chose that word picture for us. And I'll tell you, the more I get to know about sheep, the more humbling it is to be compared to a sheep. Sheep are not very impressive in the main. They can be kind of cute, but they're not that impressive. Had it been left up to us, we would have picked something, probably an animal a little bit more exciting and inspiring like a lion or a tiger or a bear or even a gazelle. Graceful gazelle would have been cool. But the truth is, sheep really capture our reality. Let me share three facts with you about sheep that, that you may or may not know that, that helps to put this parable in perspective for us. This is Sheep 101. First, sheep are biologically and anatomically defenseless. Unlike lions, tigers, and bears, or gazelles for that matter, sheep do not have any natural way to protect themselves. They can't run fast, so they don't have flight response. They don't have a roar or claws or venom or large talons or even quills. They can't fight. They are prime A prey. If a predator invades a sheepfold, the only thing that the sheep can do is herd tightly together and they get so panicked that they start running around in circles hoping that the predator doesn't get them. They have no natural defenses except this herd instinct. And the herding offers them some protection, but sheep are primarily reliant on a shepherd to save them from harm's way. They cannot survive on their own. Which is why a sheep that has strayed is in tremendous peril. And whether we believe it or not, the same is really true for us. The Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. We are not as strong as we think we are. We are prey to all kinds of troubles and temptations and sins, and we need divine care and protection. Second, sheep need other sheep. 
Sheep are naturally born as very social beings. They literally need other sheep for their survival and their sanity, really. Animal behaviorists have found that sheep need the presence of at least four to five other sheep while they're grazing. They need to see a little company of sheep in view while they're eating. Otherwise, they become anxious, skittish, and highly agitated. Sheep are hardwired to live in community. And so are we. As far back as Genesis, God said it was not good for humankind to be alone. We too need the care and the safety and the connection of a safe community. That's why it's dangerous when sheep stray. Alone, sheep like us are vulnerable, vulnerable to all kinds of attack when they leave the safety of their community. They need community just like we do to be socially, emotionally, and I will add for us spiritually healthy. Third point about sheep is sheep can do dumb things. At one time it was thought that sheep were actually dumb. But recent research out of Cambridge has found that sheep actually have intelligence. They can be as intelligent as rodents and monkeys, and according to some tests, even humans, even though I'm not sure it would still fly to tell somebody they're as smart as a sheep. I'm not sure that's caught up yet. But research has found they do have intelligence. But yet sheep still can do what we would consider dumb things. And there's a few reasons for this. First, sheep are huge followers. It's, it's part of their herd instinct. A few, a few years ago, a story out of eastern Turkey reported 400 sheep falling 15 meters to their death into, off a cliff because the sheep followed this one sheep who went off the cliff. 400 sheep followed him to their death. Not only was it 400, but another 1,100 sheep following that herd fell also off the cliff, but their fall was broken by a ravine, so, so they survived. That is 1,500 sheep that met with demise or injury because they were following a sheep. The story reported that the shepherds had left the flock to, to roam free without care while they went off to have breakfast. It was reported that the damages were over $74,000. Actually, we as humans have a herd instinct too. It just looks a little bit different. We too can get in line behind what seems to be the most popular or the fad of the day. We too can follow a charismatic leader or be swept up in what the world is saying is the new normal or cool. And before we know it, we too can find ourselves in a ravine wondering, how in the world did I get here? Another reason that Smart sheep can do dumb things relates to their eyesight. Sheep have excellent peripheral vision. 
They can see far on either side of their head without even turning their head. But they have a hard time seeing what's directly in front of them. They have horrible depth of field vision. So sheep often stray, not so much intentionally, but, but they stray to get a better look at something. They, they're curious. They maybe weren't intending to leave the flock, but they get distracted. They become oblivious to their surroundings. They get sidetracked. They can easily lose their way and then get lost. And once again, the same is true for us, right? Perhaps we didn't intend to stray from God. But from all kinds of reasons to distractions, not paying attention, all kinds of reasons can pull us in a direction that we never intended to go. We indeed are like sheep. We need protection. We need guidance. We need care. We are prone to wander, to get hurt, to get lost. Isaiah captures it well when he says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We need a shepherd, whether we recognize it or not. And herein lies the surprise of this parable. The third part of our rubric, the surprise of this parable, is that God himself pictures himself, presents himself as the good shepherd who seeks the one. Now, that may not feel like a big surprise to you. We're kind of used to this this parable and, and thinking of God that way, but think of it like you were the original hearer. Let's get a a fresh perspective on this surprise. The hearers of that day would have been familiar with a shepherd going after one sheep. That is what they did for real. They would make sure that the flock was cared for, but that shepherd would go after one sheep. That's why Jesus used the analogy in this parable. It was common in that day. They could relate to that truth. But the surprise is that God the creator of the universe, the sovereign, the almighty, would be that shepherd for you and for me. That God so loves this world, that God so loves every individual person, that he would go after even one person who has gone astray. If you really hold that, the creator of the universe would go after the one that's gone astray is pretty mind-boggling. The original hearers would have understood God as holy and distant. It was the God of Moses that Moses spoke to on Mount Sinai or, or the God that only Moses got to connect with in the tabernacle. The God of the original hearers would have been the God that the high priest was able to see and give a sacrifice to only once a year in the Holy of Holies. But God, as a shepherd, who would personally go after one sheep that's gone astray? It's amazing. And I'm not sure that we really, really get that even today. 
I think we can take for granted and become numb to the degree that God seeks us out so patiently and persistently and personally. We can take for granted that the good shepherd is indeed patient, that God never gives up trying to find us when we are astray and bring us back home. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises as some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. No one to be lost. There will come a day when time ends and, and God is no longer seeking, but until that day, the good shepherd is patiently, patiently, patiently seeking anyone who has gone astray. Not only can we forget that God is patient, but we can forget that the good shepherd is persistent. No matter what we've done or how far we may have strayed or how much we may try to ignore God or hide from God, he loves us still. His love is forever seeking and reaching out to us to care for you and for me. The psalmist Davis, David knew this well when he writes, Where could I go to escape from your spirit or from your sight? If I were to climb up to the highest heavens, you would be there. If I were to dig down to the world of the dead, you would also be there. Suppose I had wings like the dawning day and, and flew across the ocean. Even then, your powerful arm would guide and protect me. Yes, we have a good, good shepherd who is patient, who is persistent. And we also have a good shepherd who is personal. And that's a twist, a key to this parable. The good shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. And Jesus states that if he finds it, he is happier about that one than the 99 he left. Now that does not mean that the shepherd does not love the 99. He doesn't, he doesn't love the 99 any less than he loves the one. But he's overjoyed that the missing one is back in the fold. Maybe you'll catch this a little bit if you've ever had one of your children stray, maybe in a mall or, or at an event, and, and you've kind of lost sight of them, and, and, and the, the beating of your heart as you search for them, and the joy you feel when you have found them and they're safe in your arms. Doesn't mean you love your other children any less, but you are overjoyed that the one who was missing is now safely in your arms. This is such a beautiful picture that, that I wonder if we can hold that. I, I wonder if we can really believe it. Do you feel that in your soul? Jesus, our good shepherd, loves you personally. So much so that if and when you stray, because we all can, he will do whatever it takes to bring you home. 
The next part of our rubric then is to ponder the meaning of all of this. So, so what is it that we can ponder about this parable? Well, perhaps we start by pondering, which sheep are we? Are you in the fold? Or are you one who has strayed right now? Perhaps you are in the fold and you feel close to the shepherd. You are safely with the 99. Well, in that case, perhaps what you ponder is the sheep that you know who have strayed. Sheep that you know aren't close to the shepherd right now. Maybe they're adult children or your parents or close friends or siblings. At one point, they knew God, but for whatever reason, they're not interested in God right now. They've strayed. The shepherd is looking for them. And he may want to use your voice, your presence, your hands to guide them home. Perhaps you ponder if the shepherd is inviting you to pray for them, connect with them, engage with them as the shepherd uses you to seek them. Actually, that's one of the points of this text Jesus is telling mature believers to look out and care for those little ones, just like he does. Well, perhaps you ponder, who do you know in your life that God may wish to seek through you? Or perhaps you are a sheep who has strayed. No one may even know what's in your heart. Perhaps it was not even your intention to stray, but you find yourself in a situation right now or with a person or engaging in thoughts, activities, or habits that aren't really you. Things that are not who you want to be or where you want to be. Perhaps you don't feel God's presence the way you used to And the spirit is stirring in you that you've strayed. Perhaps you feel lost and confused. And you're realizing that you have kind of creeped away from God. But my friends, I want to tell you, the shepherd is looking for you. He is calling for you. He wants to bring you back to the fold. It's never too late. And there's nothing that you can ever do where he would reject you. He's calling you. Another interesting fact about sheep is that they have excellent hearing. When Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, he is holding true to the metaphor because sheep actually can distinguish the voice of their shepherd from other shepherds. If you don't believe me, YouTube it. There's a whole bunch of YouTubes that show shepherds calling sheep. And only the sheep that belong to those shep- that shepherd will respond. It's pretty amazing to watch. Jesus, if you have strayed, is calling you. And the farther away you stray, it may be harder and harder to hear, but listen for his voice. He is searching for you. He is calling you. And our final lens in the Rubric 
of parable rubric is how do we respond to this? And I guess I leave that with you and the Holy Spirit, whether you're in the fold or whether you are one alone. The question is, how will you respond to the Good Shepherd? Will you take his invitation and, and care for the little ones in your sphere of influence? Sheep who may have strayed that you know or have stepped outside of God's care and God's fold? If you are realizing that you have strayed, will you respond even right now to the shepherd seeking and searching for you and calling you home? Our good, good shepherd is seeking all of those who have gone astray patiently, persistently, and personally because he loves us more than we can ever imagine. And he is not willing for any sheep to be lost. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we attempt to wrap our minds around this parable, God, it is amazing to us that the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the sovereign God loves each of us so personally that you became a good shepherd for us. And God, as we think about what this means to us, I ask that even now that you would stir in our spirits what it is that you would have each of us here this morning that you would bring to mind those that maybe have strayed from you that you want us to serve and to love and, and to, to em, embody your shepherdness as you seek them. Or perhaps we're dealing with something personally and, and we confess we've strayed. And God, I ask that in, in those cases that your love would just permeate and that our hearts would turn toward you as you seek us. And God, there may even be people who, who don't know you, who, who haven't, aren't in your fold. And actually, Lord, it's the same message. For you say that you have come to seek and save the lost. So anyone like that, God, I ask that even now, that they turn toward you and, and decide that maybe they want you to be their shepherd. God, you know all of our needs. So we thank you for your words speaking to us this morning. And we leave it in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.